Welcome to Good News Tea, spilling the good news, grab your tea with Z. Thank you for joining me today, and I wanted to say that we're going to do things uh, quite different this time. I was going to say a little different, but actually, we're going to go ahead and scrap the whole format that we had last time, where I had this exact, I would, you know, tell you some fact or statistic and then I would read the articles and then I tell you a personal story and then I would um give you a quote and that would be the end of the episode because uh what I realized is that first of all that's a lot of work because I was actually writing a whole script before I started any of the episodes So I was reading the article, summarizing it, writing the whole script, and I was still only ending up with like 13 to maybe 15 minutes of content, and it just didn't feel very genuine or real. It didn't really feel like something that you would just put on in the background. It felt like I was pretending to be a news broadcaster, and I'm not. I'm not a radio news broadcaster. I have no experience with voice acting other than just having fun with it. So that's what I'm here to do today. I'm going to read some news articles. Actually, I already read them. I'm not going to read them out loud and make you sit through every article. Some of them are very dry and quite tedious to read, actually. Um, And then I'm just going to talk about sort of, I guess, my feelings on it and what it could mean for the future and uh, hopefully it goes well. You know, one of the things that I'm concerned about is that um, I have a very sensitive emotional trigger, but I'm also not a very emotive person. I can't fake excitement very well, and even if I do feel excited on the inside, it doesn't always translate to when I speak verbally. It does make getting gifts a little bit stressful. I just don't have that sort of programming in me, but we'll get there. This is going to be fun. We're going to figure it out as we go. I may change things in the future. But right now, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm going to sit back, relax, and enjoy this talk about the good news that's happening in life. So the first article is titled, Earth's Atmosphere Can Clean Itself, Groundbreaking Research Finds. Now, what I read in the article and what I read on comments about the article was that First of all, it's about this molecule known as hydroxide, or OH, which, okay, I have to admit I found it a little funny because this whole article reads with OH instead of hydroxide, and so it's like, um, let's see, here's just an example, uh, which suggests that traditional thinking around the formation of O in the atmosphere is incomplete, and I just endlessly amused by that. So, but regardless, the the point that I found about this article is not, this isn't new. Hydroxide isn't new. Um, It's also known as, what is it, the earth detergent or the atmosphere detergent or something like that. It helps with um, 
cleaning the air of pollutants like greenhouse gases and other chemicals that get into our air. Now, the difference in this particular article, what they're saying is that what we have learned is how it forms is different than we thought it was. So previously we believed that hydroxide comes from the air itself, uh, formulated with sunlight. And the new research shows that hydroxide can be created spontaneously by conditions on the surface of water droplets. So we, it's, it's possible that like we can do a lot more with our knowledge of how hydroxide is formed and what that means for the future is that this has opened up a wide range of further research where we're now progressing to the point where we can um, potentially find new avenues for cleaning up our atmosphere which is really great news. And so it's exciting that they discovered this new formulation of hydroxide and that we're progressing forward with further research about how we can use that to our advantage and how we can use that to help the Earth's atmosphere. And along that line, one of the things about cleaning up the Earth's atmosphere is that, you know, we're talking about changing the way we do energy. It used to be that coal was a major producer of energy, and we realized that that was basically killing us. So we moved on. We're learning new things. We use different types of power production, gas, electric, nuclear power, um, green energy, like we're talking um, wind farms, we're talking, uh, water generators, which are really cool, um, and solar panels. So this next article says, can America's canals double as solar farms? And in, um, Southern, in, somewhere in California, they are piloting a program that allows us to use our canals to produce energy. They're putting solar panels over the canals. There's something like, let's see, there was a number, 8,000 miles of federally owned canals across the United States. And it channels water. It does things like, you know, um, waters crops, fuels hydropower plants, the water generators that I mentioned earlier, they supply drinking water to rural communities. And um, in the future, it's possible they're going to be like a central hub of solar power. And it sort of provides like this dual benefit. One of the, the, the cool parts about it is that not only are we producing solar power in places that generally don't have accessibility to the land or what have you, but we're also covering our water sources, which reduces evaporation. So we are able to um, potentially help with the areas that are prone to drought in Southern California and actually Northern California as well. But so we're helping the areas that are prone to drought with this and we're producing energy at the same time. And the article does say that potentially it would generate over 25 gigawatts of renewable energy, which is enough power to 
um, supply 20 million homes with power. And also, it reduces water evaporation by tens of billions of gallons. Potentially, of course, this is like an ideal situation. These are the results we would expect to get. So, by running the um, pilot program in California, one of the things that we're going to figure out is whether or not it's supposedly economically feasible. So, do we have the money for it? Does it create enough savings that we can offset the cost, that sort of thing, you know, provides jobs, etc. But I mean, it, it, it's not free, right? It costs a lot of money. So I think that's the, the thing that we're going to be working on is whether or not it's affordable. And that's kind of where a lot of these programs fail is the affordability. So there's a program Let's see, there's a company in the Bay Area called Solar Aqua Grid. And it's designing a solar array prototype that will cover nearly two miles of irrigation canals in the Central Valley. And um, it says they're providing $20 million for the pilot project. And it, it's going to cover that two miles. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully it's showing a promising thing for the future. And hopefully we get an update that says that, yeah, we can go ahead and cover more of our um, canals with solar panels. And that would be really good for water preservation and for the future of green energy. So moving on to the next article we're talking about. Uh, the title is that empty office buildings are being turned into vertical farms. And this article was super dry. It's in the Smithsonian Magazine. I'm going to put all the links to all of this stuff in my description as usual. So you can go and read these articles yourself. If I missed any information that you want to know, it'll be there. This article in particular was very dry, but honestly, I think it was one of my favorites for today. Um, because it was just really cool because, so with the pandemic, one thing that happened was that, um, office buildings aren't being used as much anymore. So it says, uh, the, the blurb under the article title here says with office usage hovering near 50% of pre pandemic levels, cities are putting the underutilized space to new use growing food. So there's an old paper company in the Washington, D.C. area that's called Area 2 Farms. Now, anyway, it's been renamed. Um, used to be a paper company. It's a warehouse building. They've got machines going, and instead of creating paper, they're growing vegetables and herbs and various other greens. So with the pandemic, the big, the big, you know, um, skyscraper type office buildings are not being used. We've got nearly 20% of the office space is empty across the United States. These are buildings that could be used for other things and now all they're doing is costing the landlords money. You know. Um, so but um, so it says projections are suggesting that more than 300 million square feet of U.S. office space could be obsolete by 2030. You know, that's it. 300 million square feet of U.S. office space. And now that it doesn't have a purpose because it its purpose is 
gone and the people that were working there are now working from home. So um, in some cities, they're trying to convert these to uh, residential spaces, especially in like New York City, uh, around Midtown, they're trying to make these office buildings into residential apartments and in, in, in cities like that, that's really important because housing is a problem. Um, now, the downside of that is that it costs a lot of money. These are office buildings, you know, they're not meant for people to live in. The the spaces are entirely different. Even the bathrooms are different, right? So converting this into a living space is costly, it's time-consuming, and it takes a lot to make function. However, when you turn it into a farm, it can stay in the general shape that it was already in. You know, you get all these open bay office spaces, and they have the offices to the side, you know, the, the special offices. and um, they just put up these farms and they're, they're apparently using conveyor belts for these farms. So what it does is sort of replicates the, uh, they called it the circadian rhythm of the plants. So they're not having to worry about how the lighting works or whatever. So they're, they're also able to reach the plants because one of the big thing about vertical farming is that it can be pretty labor intensive with things like going up and down ladders and that also adds like this certain level of you know everybody knows the ladder's not particularly safe um or they're cumbersome to move i don't know if you've ever been on a ladder that belongs in a retail store that has on wheels those things are a pain so this totally eliminates that because the plants move on the conveyor belt and can be reached when they need to be reached. So this solves multiple problems. Not only is the office space getting used, which is awesome because, you know, we hate to see empty retail just sitting there, or not retail, resident, empty buildings that could be used for things that are important. And the benefit of something like this is that um, it helps with communities that are dealing with food insecurity. It helps with the future of farming because we don't have to worry about um, the environmental factors like are they getting enough sunlight? Are they going to have pests that come and consume our crops? You know, if there's a cold snap, will our plants survive? And when you're dealing with vertical farming, indoor farming, the benefit is that, yes, it will survive all of that. So, you know, climate change isn't as much of a concern for indoor farming. And so I think the future of farming is definitely going to be more indoors. What they mentioned in the article is that the ideal farm with the, the, the picturesque red barn, that doesn't exist anymore, and it hasn't for years. You know, we're talking industrial farms now. And so how do we as a society move forward because farming is adapting but you know how can we adapt to the way our environment is changing the way the climate is changing the way the surroundings are changing and i think that this is going to be the future of farming we're talking indoor vertical farming and I'm really, really excited about the future of this. I, I, of all the things that I read today, I think that was particularly, like, this is very exciting for our future. And the last two stories that I have for today are the feel-good stories, if you will. They're the ones that are just there to make 
you feel good on the inside. Now, I have such a hard time reading these sorts of things out loud, so I'm glad that I'm not actually expecting to read it to you, because I get so emotional about happy stories. For the life of me, I can't figure it out. But this one is titled, Malaysian Lawyer Who Helped a Woman Who Stole a Pencil Box 25 Years Ago Gets a Surprise from Her Son. Now, recently there's been an article going around about um, another lawyer who uh, gave an opioid addict a second chance and she came back as a lawyer to defend somebody who was accused of murder who was innocent and she won her case. And that was a really cool story. But this one, I feel like, is different. I don't know. For one, it didn't get nearly as much publicity. And it happened in Malaysia. So laws are different. The way things, the court systems work, it's all pretty different, right? Um, now, this story is one that I don't normally talk about because I don't like stories that, that have this, like, that feels bad and then it feels good feeling to them because you know I just I'm not a fan of those kinds of news story but this one is is it, it was really cool so this lady this woman um her name is uh, okay I actually checked the article her name is not in the article but she's described as a woman in her 50s a Malaysian Indian woman who worked as a cleaner, um, and she was arrested, and when they discovered why, it was this. She had stolen a pencil box from a supermarket, and the pencil box was a gift for her 10-year-old son, who she had promised to get her son a pencil box if he became the top student in the class, and we're talking, you know, poverty and difficult times right so she was doing what she could to make things work and she got caught and arrested and this lawyer actually went as far as reaching out to the man who was pressing charges against her which to me it seems wild that you would even do that but um he insisted on continuing forward with the charges so um the lawyer really went to bat for her. I mean, he did He did speak to the, the men at the grocery store who insisted on pressing these charges and going forward with the case. Um, I mean, he even went to the, the son's school to verify that he was the top student in the class. Um, and then when he... When he... Um, went to court for her, with her, the, the, he actually had the teacher come to the, give a testimony, and anyway, the magistrate discharged the mother, and, uh, bound her for over a year on a good behavior bond, I'm not actually sure what that means, this is Malaysian law we're talking about, I'm not quite as familiar with it, but ultimately, she didn't go to jail, um, looks like she didn't even get a fine, but, um, before the lady left, they passed a hat around and collected, um, money for her, contributed by the court staff, policemen, and the lawyer. So they, they really went to par for this woman. Uh, what happened wasn't particularly fair, and she was really trying to do what she thought was right and what she could with the resources that she had, right? So, 
He said they handed the money over to her. She left after expressing her gratitude and never saw her again. Um, he said the case always stood out to him in his 30-year career. And in 2018, he was going about his routine in court and he was approached by a man in his early 30s. And the man said, Hello, sir. You may not know me, but I'm the son of the cleaner you helped 20 years ago. Remember the pencil box case? Well, it turns out that the young boy um, was is now a, a lawyer himself. Um, he is... He Well, he apparently learned about the story from his mother she said uh he says my mother saw you on the news on the tv over a case you handled and told me who you are and he's now a lawyer and was able to get in touch with the lawyer who changed his life or his mother's life 30 years before uh they've become very close they visit each other uh they talk often the lawyer says he's like a son to me and um, at the end of the article, it says, in recounting the fated 1998 encounter with the mom, he said, I helped because she's a fellow Malaysian. Here in Malaysia, despite our diverse backgrounds, our differences are minute, but we have similarities. We can live in harmony as one big family. I think that article was really cool. It's not the first of its type that I've heard where you know, uh, it's like those stories, the firefighter saves a young drowning boy and then is met with him as a firefighter decades later. And those kinds of stories are always really cool because it really shows, I feel like, uh, the human spirit and not just that, but also like how much community matters and how much easier it is to be resilient when we're there for each other. I think that's really, really valuable, and I think that's an important thing that we're missing out on sometimes, is that we really need that sense of community, and I feel like that sense of community really helps us get through the hard times. Uh, now for the last article of the day, we're talking about more hopeful stories. This one's really cute. It's about a cat. So the title is, Intuitive Pet Who Hears for Deaf Owner named National Cat of the Year. Uh, this story is really cool. So it's about a cat called Zebby. And let's see. Um, his owner is called Genevieve Moss, and she's 66, and she's deaf. So this this cat, Zebby, one of the things, st stuff that he does includes things like um, if the phone is ringing, he will tap her with his paw. So she knows the phone is ringing and she can put in her hearing aid and take the call. Uh, in the night, if there's an unusual noise, she, he will bat her on the head and wake her up. If someone's at the door, he paces in front of her. And he does other things too, like apparently he brings in the mail or the, sorry, the newspaper, I think it is, uh, and drops it in the bedroom. Um, he even brings her slippers to her. I mean, this cat is just so innately, I don't know, really obviously cares for Miss Moss. 
he uh, obviously loves her a lot. And I think that's really cool the way he just sort of does these things by nature. He just wants to to care for her. And it's like he's noticed that she's deaf, so he brings her attention to these things that she can't hear normally. So he alerts her to the sounds around her that she can't hear. And it helps her get by in her life. Now, he's not a registered service animal as far as I know, but knows maybe we're really missing our market on service cats i think if any cat should be awarded national cat of the year definitely zebby counts and uh that's it i really enjoyed doing this this way i think this is what i'm going to continue to do in the future it feels a lot more approachable for me so i think we're going to get a lot less of the stutter starting um, we're gonna see more stuff like this in the future if you have any suggestions if you'd like to um if you'd like to hear me talk about something specific let me know uh thanks for joining me this has been another episode of good news tea <laughs>